Welcome to the Pathway Podcast. This episode kicks off a continuation of an ongoing series on the life of Abraham. Lead pastor Jeremy Flanagan examines the connections between faith and God, tempting circumstances, and habitual sin. He challenges us to put God above all else to lead us away from temptation and into the life he calls us to. For information about small groups, Pathway Kids, or anything Pathway-related, contact us at pathwaybaptist.com connect. Uh, this month, we're starting a new series. We're wrapping up on the life of Abraham. Uh, we spent January and February talking about him and, and looking at different aspects of uh, his journey about the forming uh, of uh, the covenant between he and God, and, and that's really kind of what we're talking about this month is kind of the end of that story, God's covenant to him to give him a son, and through that son, to have descendants and create eventually the nation of Israel. And so all of these things that you look at in the life of Abraham, the decisions he made, the things that he encountered, all of the stuff that he faced, um, all those choices still impact our world today. I mean, still impacts what's going on in the Middle East, which impacts everything else, uh, and uh, and really both his successes and definitely his uh, failures uh, have had long-term uh, ramifications for the entire world. And so just as a quick recap before we jump into talking about our subject matter today, um, how he got here is Abram was, uh, grew up, he was born kind of in uh, the you know, cradle of life there in Mesopotamia down there uh, towards the, uh, the end of the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. If you'll throw that map up, uh, I just uh, threw one of them up today. We talked about his journeys uh, back in the earlier series, but just to give you an idea, he grew up down there in, in Ur, uh, which is close to the Persian Gulf, and uh, later uh, in life, he moved up to point number two, which is kind of the Syria between uh, Syria, or the border between Syria and Turkey, and he lived there with his father, and while he lived there is when God called out to him and told him to pick up, trust this God, and, and to pick up and move your whole family down to the land of Canaan, the land that he said that he would give to them. And so, um, you know, Abraham trusted God and he moved down there to point number three, down into modern day Israel. That's kind of where he first showed up there. And so that's how Abraham went from, you know, living around the area of the Persian Gulf all the way up into uh, Turkey and then down to now modern day Israel. And so Abraham and his family moved there and then God gave him a covenant. He told him at the very beginning when he called him out while he was, you know, living up there with his father. And he said to him that if you go, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And, you know, God continued to kind of reconfirm that covenant and then to give more details. He promised him a son. And then uh, on the next slide, just a couple of things in Genesis chapter 17 that God uh, reconfirmed his covenant and told him is, uh, you know, he changed his name from Abram to Abraham. He promised him countless descendants. He promised that he would have those descendants through a son with his wife, Sarah. Um, And then uh, in verses 9 through 14, they had the the sign of the covenant, which instituted the practice of circumcision, and and then kind of set everything up official, that here's this uh, official thing that you're going to do. You are going to have a son with your wife, Sarah. I'm making this promise to you. God confirmed all of it. And so he's still, at this point, when we start back with the story in Genesis chapter 20, has not had a son with his wife, Sarah. He's had one with, uh, with uh, Hagar. He's had Ishmael, but he has still not had one with Sarah. And that compromise that we talked about 
that he and his wife came up with, you know, years uh, earlier when they doubted God's promise, when they doubted that God was going to fulfill exactly what he had said, that compromise is what created a whole lot of problems for him. I mean, Abraham, he messed up a lot. I mean, he messed up in some big ways. Today is one of those sermons. But still yet, when you look back at all of the things of faith that he did, simply to pick his family up and to go to a foreign place where he had no idea how he's going to make a living, he had no idea how he would be received, and still he went. I mean, Abraham was a man of great faith and still a man of great failures. And so today we're going to talk about repeated sins. Because I don't know about you, but I don't... You know, maybe you're the kind of person that you find a whole lot of different sins that you like to commit. But in my life, I've always found that usually for myself and others that talk to me, there's a handful that you fall back into time and time again. It's, there are some things that other people struggle with and you don't seem to struggle with at all. There are some things that people, you know, those are the sins that they really latch on to and that they mess up with all the time. And you're like, no, that's not a problem for me. But you know what the sins and what the temptations are that get you and that trip you up, that you hate, that you want to put behind you, that you work on, that you may have success for a long time and then may mess up again. But generally speaking, what I've found personally and for most people that talk to me, there are a handful of things and those are the temptations and the sins that really bother them, that really mess them up. And Abraham was no different. The things that he messed up with, the sins that he did, the, the lack of faith that he showed at times, it, it, you're going to see a, a deja vu type of story today. And so as we go through this, here's what I want you to take home. Here's what I want us to remember today is that as believers, we still struggle with sin, but our failures don't determine who we are. Now, we can allow them to define who we are at this moment. We can allow them to define what people see. It can mess us up greatly and everything else, but it does not determine our worth. It doesn't determine uh, our, our destination. Um, our sins and failures can't do that. If you're a child of God, you are his, but he still wants us to find a way to, to try and eliminate those mistakes. In Genesis chapter 20, it's where we're going to be. We've got a long passage here to read. I'm just going to read the whole story. Uh, Genesis chapter 21 through 18. It says, Abraham moved south to the Negev and lived for a while between Kadesh and Shur. And then he moved to Gerar, where uh, while living there as a foreigner, Abraham introduced his wife, Sarah, by saying, she is my sister. So King Abimelech of Gerar sent for Sarah and had her brought to him at his palace. But that night, God came to Abimelech in a dream and told him, you're a dead man, for that woman you have taken is already married. But Abimelech had not slept with her yet, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Didn't Abraham tell me she is my sister? And she herself said, yes, he is my brother. I acted in complete innocence. My hands are clean. In the dream, God responded, yes, I know you're innocent. That's why I kept you from sinning against me and why I did not let you touch her. Now return the woman to her husband. He will pray for you, for he is a prophet. Then you will live. But if you don't return her to him, you can be sure that you and all your people will die. Abimelech got up early the next morning and quickly called all his servants together. When he told them what had happened, his men were terrified. Then Abimelech called for Abraham. What have you done to us, he demanded. What crime have I committed that deserves treatment like this, making me and my kingdom guilty of this great sin? No one should ever do what you have done. Whatever possessed you to do such a thing? Abraham replied, 
I thought this is a godless place. They will want my wife and will kill me to get her. And she really is my sister. So here's this thing. I explained it back when we did the earlier story. Back then, this happened. Today, be a little more awkward, but just go with it. She really is my sister, for we both have the same father, but different mothers, and I married her. When God called me to leave my father's home and to travel from place to place, I told her, do me a favor. Wherever we go, tell the people that I'm your brother. Don't you love it? We're not actually lying. That's what he's saying here, right? Technically, I didn't do anything wrong. We didn't lie to you. Um, And so in verse 14, Then Abimelech took some of his sheep and goats, cattle, and male and female servants, and he presented them to Abraham. He also returned his wife Sarah to him. Then Abimelech said, Look over my land and choose any place where you would like to live. And he said to Sarah, Look, I'm giving your brother 1,000 pieces of silver in the presence of all these witnesses. This is to compensate you for any wrong I may have done to you. This will settle any claim against me, and your reputation is cleared. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants, so they could have children. For the Lord had caused all the women to be infertile because of what happened with Abraham's wife, Sarah. How would you like to be Abimelech? Right? I mean, this guy and his wife and all the, the you know, the, the women there had um, not been able to have children. We don't know how long this lasted, but God had done this to them simply based on him acting on what Abraham said. Now, you can look at it and say, well, yeah, God wasn't real keen on him having a harem. Um, and so, uh, but that wasn't the big issue here. Again, culturally and, and what they did back then with Abraham and Sarah, she was his half-sister, um, but that wasn't uncommon for family members to marry. Actually, when Abraham seeks out a wife for his son, Isaac, they go back to find a cousin. Uh, and so that was very common back in those days. Um, but for Abimelech, he is here, and he did not knowingly take another man's wife from, from him. He did not knowingly take another man's wife to be part of his harem. Uh, actually, you can tell that it bothered him, that, that, you know, while Abraham said, well, you're a godless people, apparently still yet, to Abimelech, that was a line that he wasn't going to cross. That was something within his worldview and his, whatever his beliefs were, that that was unacceptable to him as well. And he said, you know, to Abraham, how in the world could you do this to me? Well, how Abraham could do this to Abimelech is because he did it to Pharaoh in Egypt 25 years earlier. If you remember the story, right when Abraham got into the land of Canaan, they're point number three on the map. Right when they got there, in a very short time later, there's a great famine, and so they had to pick up, go into Egypt. And when he went into Egypt, what did he say? He told his wife, you're beautiful. These men are going to want you. And in their culture, there in Egypt, apparently he felt that they would kill him and then be able to take his wife. But if you tell them you're my sister, they'll be nice to me because they're trying to convince me to, you know, let them take you and be their wife. And he was right because Pharaoh heard that she was beautiful, brought her into his, uh, into his household, and they lavished gifts on Abraham. You know, back then when I talked about that sermon, I was, it was the idea that we can sin and we can knowingly do something's wrong and we can say to ourselves that, you know what, I know this isn't right, 
but I can stay ahead of the fallout. You know, I know there's maybe this isn't exactly perfect, but I can stay ahead of this. I can, you know, tell this lie or I can do this wrong thing in order to, to get what I need to get right now. And I can stay ahead of whatever consequences come. Well, it didn't work out for Abraham then because he literally could have turned down any suitor in the land of Egypt who wanted his wife except for who? Pharaoh. And that's who chose her. And here, again, almost 25 years later, Abraham does the same thing. He does the same thing. Now, you can say to yourself, when he first came to the land of Canaan, and he was brand new there, didn't have his own land, didn't have any of that, wasn't a huge group of people at that point in time yet, and then went into a foreign place and to Egypt, that you can understand him being so scared and being so worried that he'd be killed that you could see why he would lie. Why do we know that? Why, why can we say that? Because how many times have we given the same type of reasoning when we lied, right? Well, I know it's not right to lie, but I need to lie right now because if I don't, this is going to be a major problem. If I don't lie right now, then even worse things are going to happen. And so, yeah, this isn't right, but I need to lie right now, or I need to do something wrong right now for a good purpose. I mean, we can all empathize a little bit with Abraham 25 years ago when he was scared for his life, and he chose to lie. What had happened in those 25 years since? Here are a few things that happened. Here's some of the experiences and, uh, up on the screen. Um, a short time later, he came back, and there was a large army. Uh, Laomer was a, a king of, uh, I believe, the Elamites, and they de- defeated five city-states, took his nephew Lot and their family captive, and five city-states couldn't defeat this army, but Abraham and all of his household did. I mean, major victory uh, uh, by God's hand. He is, after this, he was visited by God and given in the covenant, reconfirmed. Later than that, he was visited by angels. They came and visited him into his home and regave the promise that Sarah was going to have a child. They came and told him that Sodom and Gomorrah were going to be destroyed, and then he watched that happen. He watched God destroy, completely destroy these two cities simply because of his judgment on them for sin. But still yet, over 25 years, and all of these amazing things where God had a hand in protecting them and giving them victory, still yet he falls into the same trap where he's scared, he doesn't have faith that God's going to take care of things, he's worried, and so he lies. He deceives, I'll say that, because Abraham pointed out clearly that he did not lie. And she is my half-sister, so I didn't lie to you but he clearly deceived. And that's the thing. We always can tell ourselves that our sin isn't that bad. It's either someone else's fault that drove us to do it. It's the stress or the anxiety we're under that pushed us over the edge to where we gave in. It's wrong, but it's not as wrong as the consequences as if we didn't do it. Or we sin a little bit, but we create an imaginary line. I'm going to sin up to this point, but I'm not going to go past that line. And even though this is all still sin, we make ourselves feel good by not going over the line. I mean, God's line is here. Our line is way up there. But we feel good as long as we stay here in the area of sin. Whatever reason it is, we are masterful at justifying our sinful actions, our mistakes, our failures. Abraham did it. He failed again. He 
He didn't have faith that God would provide and protect him. He was scared, and so he decided to deceive. You know, in our series about grace, um, Paul pointed out, and we shared a couple of these verses in Romans chapter 7, about how difficult it is, even in the life of a believer, even after you've trusted in Christ as Savior, how difficult it is not to continually slip up and do the same things over and over again. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 14, it says, So the trouble is not with the law. Remember, Paul was talking to them about how the law doesn't save you and that nobody could completely fulfill the law. That's why we need grace. But he said, the trouble isn't with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I'm all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I, don't, and I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Now, here's what I want to make sure you know. Paul is not dismissing our responsibility for our sins. All right, he's not excusing sin. Go back up to verse 16. I want to do 16 and 17 again. He says, if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So the whole idea is that, yeah, while I can't obey the whole law, I'm not perfect, the fact that I know in my heart that what I'm doing is wrong means that I'm accepting God's standard. So if I accept God's standard, whether it's him, um, Back then, whether it's Abraham in the Old Testament and his faith in God, whether it's us today, if we accept God's standard, if we accept that we are sinful creatures, the Bible determines what sin is, and we need Jesus as Savior, if we accept that standard, then that proves, you know, that we aren't a slave to that sin in the sense that we can't overcome it, but we can still allow ourselves to be defined by it in the moment. But in verse 17, when he says, I am not the one doing wrong, it is sin living in me that does it, he's not excusing sin. He's just saying that you are not determined, as a child of God, you are not determined by your sin. You are a child of God, okay? You are a child of God. The Holy Spirit lives within you. Your destination in heaven is secure. That is who you are. You're still sinning, and it is still you. But it doesn't mean you're worthless. It doesn't mean you're incapable of overcoming it. It doesn't mean that you aren't a child of God. Your faith in Jesus determines who you are. But we can't allow our sin to destroy our lives. And so Paul talked about this, and, uh, and you know he, he shared with them how hard it was for him as a believer, as somebody who had been called out to audibly by God, as somebody who had been inspired and, and led by the Holy Spirit, how difficult it still was for him to escape this trap, this cycle of falling back into his sin over and over again. And so he says in 1 Corinthians, again, when he's writing a different letter, he says, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life 
are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. You know, as I said earlier, to me, at least personally, and many other people that that have talked to me, it seems like that we fall into the same sins over and over again. Talked to a friend of mine recently, and it's a friend that that we share openly with, you know, mistakes and, and things that we've done. And, you know, and, and we talked about that a little bit, how, how frustrating it is that it seems like we can't overcome the, the same thing that we've been working on. That you mess up and you try to fix it and you try and do what's right. I mean, Abraham was fearful for his life and then deceived people about who his wife was and, and then bad results came on them. It came on the Pharaoh and it came on Abimelech in today's story. And there were 25 years in between, almost 25 years in between these two stories. And there was nowhere in that time that we see another place where Abraham deceived people out of a lack of faith. But when it came to a point when he was stressed, when he was fearful, when he wasn't confident in God, that God had control, he went back to the same place and he deceived. You know, whether it's lying, whether it's lust, whether it's hate, whether it's greed, whether it's anger, whether it's the way we treat others, whatever it is, whatever the sin is that seems to be the one that you struggle with the most, I, I'm not going to sit here and just pump sunshine and tell you, you can get past this and it's all going to be okay. You can get past it, and everything can be okay. But I'm, I'm sad to tell you that it's probably never going to go away as far as being a temptation that's out there. You know why I say that? Because that's how it is for me. Maybe you're better off than I am. Maybe you're a whole lot better at it than I am. That's not hard to think of. Maybe you can overcome sin, and then it doesn't ever tempt you again. And I know some people that there are things in their life that they've overcome and and that that's not a problem for them anymore. But what did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 10, 12? If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The things that tempt you don't change. The things in our heart that that we are more predispositioned to to, fall into, um, we can stay strong against them but they're still there. At the moment in time in life when we take our hands off the wheel, when we take our eye and our focus off of God, and we don't work hard at resisting temptation and those opportunities that trip us up, when we take our eye off it, we're gonna fall. Abraham had all of these amazing God-powered experiences, all right? Talked to by God, visited by angels, overcame a giant army that five city-states couldn't defeat, and then watched the power of God over Sodom and Gomorrah, and still yet is like, but I think this Abimelech guy might kill me, so I'm gonna deceive everybody again. No matter what your temptations are that trip you up, they're always there. And if you allow yourself to get in those same situations that you've got into before, then it's likely you're going to see some of the same results. It doesn't have to be that way. You know, Paul's 
answer to us is in Galatians 2.20. He says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Like I said, when he talked in Romans chapter 7, he wasn't excusing sin. He was just saying that as somebody who believes in God, that doesn't determine who you are. It doesn't determine your worth, your sinful mistakes. Yeah, it may define how people see you right now. But you get to decide whether or not you're going to allow God to fight your battles and whether or not you're going to keep giving in. It may seem difficult. It may seem hard. But if you have Christ living inside of you, you're a new creature who can allow him and his power to help you. Now, there's a supernatural element to it that only comes with being a child of God and leaning on his power. There's also a practical element that has to come into us making the right choices and, and not putting ourselves into these situations. Why did Abraham fall? He got into the same type of fearful situation that he had tripped up before where his faith in God was shook. Why does somebody fall into a situation with greed or with anger or with hate or with lying or with lust or with whatever sin that trips you up? Generally because you get yourself back in the same situation where you found yourself before when you made the mistake. We have to work very, very hard at understanding that we, even with the power of God, can still make huge mistakes if we put ourselves in bad places. Now, it may just be as simple. You know, if you're an alcoholic, obviously you don't hang out in bars, right? That's the easy one. That's the easy one to look at. If you have struggles with, with uh, lust or other things like that, you don't allow yourself to see things or view things or be around people where that could be a problem. Whether it's lying, what, what situations tend to make you lie? What situations tend to, when I say make you lie, all right, I'm not excusing it, but that's how we excuse it, right? Well, I had to lie. That's what Abraham felt. What situations get us to a point to where we choose to lie, to where we choose to hate, to where we treat others poorly? If you can figure out those places in your life that get you there and that make you weak, then you know exactly where you need to ask God for strength. You know exactly where to ask God for strength and also to help keep you from choosing to be there, to placing yourself in that place. You know, when it comes to sin, sheer exhaustion or depression or other things that you deal with make people more susceptible to falling into those traps. There are other things that you, if you look at your life, everyone is unique. You have unique things that tempt you. You have unique stressors that push you there. But God can help all of them. It takes work. It takes work. But most importantly, it takes a faith in God where you decide that what he wants is more important to you than whatever you're getting from those mistakes and those failures. Put him first and then ask him to help you. As we prepare for a time of response this morning, remember, Paul said his old self was crucified with Christ. It's no longer he that lives, but Christ who lives within him. If you are here and you haven't trusted in Christ as Savior, 
then all of the things that you want to do to change your life and to fix your life and to help you avoid mistakes, to help you make good decisions, to help you overcome problems, all of those things will be nice and they can be good and they can be helpful, but none of them will be successful without, not truly successful without having God in your life, without having God leading you and guiding you. And that only comes when you trust in him as Savior. And so if you're here and you've never placed your faith in Christ, as we worship today, I'm going to be standing over here to the side. I would love to talk to you about Jesus and who he is and what he promised and what he wants to give each and every one of us. And if you're hearing you're a child of God, just remember, like Paul said, we go through life wanting to do good and finding ourselves not doing it. We go through life not wanting to sin and finding ourselves still getting tripped up by it. All right, that's a cycle we have to fight from every day from the time we were born until the day we leave. But God can help you do it through his power. Come to him, look to him, and then dedicate yourself to making the decisions that he wants you to make. Thank you.